Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. We're here for another rousing episode to see what's going on in our country, to talk about the things that we like and the things we don't like, and to really take a good look at uh, you know where we are personally. So we've had some some big doings uh, since our last get together. Uh, when we talk about you know obviously the Supreme Court's dumping a lot of uh, big decisions, and uh, their se- their session is over now for this uh, particular season. And they'll come back in the fall and hear new cases, and we'll go from there. Let's talk about the big one. Let's talk about Roe versus Wade. So we're seeing we're seeing some hysterics on the part of our friends on the left. Now, let's be clear: we can make arguments uh, in in all directions here. We have to be honest. You know, I I told you that I had seen a a woman. She was on and she was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not religious and I don't want your Bible and your Jesus deciding what I do with my body. I can do whatever I want. I think it's uh, what's in me is not a baby. It's part of me and you know, until I say it's a baby and I don't want your religion and your Bible affecting my life. Now, is that a legitimate argument? I mean, if you're not a religious person, if you don't have a faith, you don't believe there is a God. And there's a lot of people out there that don't. You know, there's a lot of people out there that, that just don't think there's there's uh, there's anything out there. You know, whether it's the, the old white guy with the beard in, up in the sky or whether it's the actual Lord God of the universe, they don't believe it, he's out there. So to, think, to have things done for religious reasons would seem unreasonable to some people. And I, and I could get that. Imagine if we had to go by uh, court decisions based on a philosophy we didn't agree with. Uh, say there was something out there, I don't know, uh, I don't want to take any of the major religions. Let's take up uh, the religion of uh, Havarte. The religion of Havarte. And its tenants say A, B, C, and D. And we have justices who believe that, and there's people who believe that. And they make decisions about how we're going to live based on the religion of Havarte. Would we be, would we be happy with that? Or would we find that, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? I don't know what that is. I don't believe in Havarte. Why should I be ruled by uh, the, the, the tenants of Havarte? So you can make an argument for those people that... That's why they're so offended here, and, and I can see that. We have to, we have to have a big picture thought when we see things. Now, for me personally, for me personally, I do have a faith in the Lord God, and I believe there is a God watching over the universe, created the universe, loves every life. Every life is precious from the moment of conception until natural death. I absolutely believe that, but that's me. That's what I believe. So, I can understand some people who are are panicked over this. But the reality is abortion is not going away. Abortion is simply going to states that approve it. And this is this is how our country was built. This whole idea of this this federal government ruling every part of our lives is is something that hopefully the court is now kicking back in some of these most recent rulings. So we, we have Roe versus Wade that sends it back to the states. You go figure it out. You see what you want to do in your state and determine how you're going to live. One of the things that we're seeing, though, a complication that we're going to see of that, which I'm going to interested to wonder if it's going to end up back in the Supreme Court, 
is you see all these trigger laws, that all of these states had these trigger laws. If Roe versus Wade was ever struck down, then this law goes into effect. And uh, I believe it's Kentucky, the most recent one, who had almost complete ban on abortions uh, as a trigger law. Once uh, Roe went in, into effect or was removed from, uh, from being in, in control, then it would go to the Kentucky state law and abortions, all of them, just about every kind of abortion was banned. And a judge um, shut that law down and said, nope, we're still going to do abortions because we don't think uh, the ACLU filed a lawsuit saying that the Kentucky law is inappropriate, it's not fair to the women of Kentucky, etc., etc. So now we're going to have 9,000 different lawsuits that all are going to find their way to the Supreme Court uh, to find out, is the Kentucky law? Well, first, it'll, obviously, it'll go through the Kentucky Supreme Court, whatever. Uh, but then it'll eventually, you know, they'll keep filing until it gets to the federal Supreme Court again. Is the Kentucky law something that can be upheld? And if it can be upheld there, then it can be upheld. If it's upheld there, then it's upheld everywhere. So it's, it's, it's kind of, are we in this big cycle uh, of this? You know, is it going to come down to the Supreme Court three years from now? Is going to have to make a decision that says, you know, it, it's impossible everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Um, no abortions, no laws can, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. But this is like the third or fourth state I think I've seen that has these um, already built in trigger laws that were take place as soon as Roe disappeared. And they're all being struck down by judges saying, nope, 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 go back to abortion. We're going to do the abortions because we don't think the state law is fair. So it's, it's, a big, it's a big round and round and round. You know, I heard Nancy Pelosi say something, and I know she's speaking to her, her people. And I, I do say I understand the people that feel the need to have abortion available to them for whether it's for convenience whether it's for uh, medical reasons, whether it's for... They just don't want to have children. And they got pregnant, and they don't want to be. I, I, I get that. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. And here's where I, where I see Nancy Pelosi came out and said that the court did its dark, evil work by overturning Roe versus Wade. And this, this is where I see the contrast in the thinking. I'm trying to be open-minded here and say, I get it. I get it. Not everyone's religious. Not everyone... Uh, sees this as, a, as killing a baby is no big deal. If it's inside the mother, I'll kill the baby. It's no big deal. It's my choice to do that. I don't agree with that, but I see where some people would say that. But for her to say their dark, evil work in, in protecting a baby in the womb, what is dark and evil about protecting a baby in the womb? So we've gone from, it's not a person, it's a lump of cells to right up to like in Virginia, you can have an abortion that you will make the baby, deliver the baby, make the baby comfortable. And the mother will decide, I don't want the baby and the doctor want to euthanize it, suck its brain out then. I don't know. But you got to say, this is, it's, it's a baby. It's a simple little baby. Now, maybe we take some of the $500 million that the government gives to Planned Parenthood every year, and now we go to these women who have their babies and we help them with adoption. Maybe we make the adoption rules easier. We put $500 million into adoption so people can adopt these babies. 
Maybe we help the mothers uh, that are financially strapped and can't afford uh, everything they need. Maybe we take that $500 million and we give it to those babies and we, we stick our, our, our nose into doing the right thing to help the women who have these babies and maybe can't afford it or have some kind of problem. I don't know. All I know is we all could sit back in an area of, uh, of comfort in our decisions. We were pro-life or you're, or you're pro-abortion and Roe versus Wade was the law of the land and no matter what we said or did, nothing was really going to change that. So it made all our positions very static and very calm and, and whatnot. But now that Roe has been struck down, now we see all the, the potential backlash that can come from being pro-life because the media is, is pro-abortion. Uh, most of the government is pro-abortion. There are lots of Republicans who are pro-abortion. And it's now turned into a bigger, bigger battle than it was before because before it was really static. You know, people who were pro-life didn't want abortion and people who were pro-abortion wanted abortion. And it didn't matter what either side wanted because it was, you know, the law of the land, so to speak, with the, uh, the court decision. But now that's changed, and that may change the political landscape. So what do we think is going to happen there? Is, are somebody, or somebody, is somebody sitting back right now who is going to vote uh, conservative or Republican in their local district, whether it's for their Senate, their Congress, whatever, that's where they were going to vote because they, they don't want $6 a gallon gasoline. They don't want, you know, $22 a pound chopped meat. They don't want uh, unavailability of things they need for their families. They don't want gasoline and everything else. All the energy costs outrageous. They don't want that. So they're going to vote Republican so that we turn around these policies that our friends on the left have brought to us, which have destroyed our economy and created this problem. But now that Roe has been overturned, I'm going to vote Democrat so that we can we can formalize abortion into law. Are people going to do that? Are they really going to take their entire family's well-being and throw it out the window so that they can they can end a pregnancy if they choose to? If they want to kill the baby, they can do it. Are they going to give that all up for that? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to do that. Uh, I'd like to say that, oh, I can't imagine people would do that. But you know what? In this day and age, we, we are no longer all rowing down the river in the same direction, so to speak, but in different boats. You know, we have different ways to get where we're going. We are now going in opposite directions on the river, and we are just about 50-50 split. You know, you hear you hear people say, well, really, it's a, it's a center-right conservative country, but we certainly don't get our elections that way. We don't get our laws that way. We Everything that we got, all the problems that we got is coming to us from the left, from left-wing progressivism, socialism, you know, the mentality of, 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 of uh, soft on crime as though criminals are going to go, hey, now that they're leaving us alone, we're not going to do crime anymore. No, you've just emboldened people. You've emboldened people to go out and commit crime, you know. Uh, so are people really going to vote against their own best interests just so that they could potentially end their pregnancy if they got pregnant? I don't know. We are in a very, very strange place right now. So we see um, Pelosi and Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are both Catholics, okay? Now we know that the Catholic faith, uh, if you're not Catholic and you don't know this, I'll give you something you should know here about the Catholic faith, is that the Catholic faith is pro-life. The Catholic faith is against abortion 
other than the life of the mother. If the mother was going to die, then the and it became the choice of the baby or the mother. Uh, the mother can choose life, of course. Or we choose life, and, that, and then the church is okay with that. Other than that, um, there there is no nothing else other than life. You protect life from the moment of conception forward. And for for Nancy Pelosi to say, I'm a very good Catholic. I'm a very good Catholic. And you go against the biggest tenet of what the church is, you're kidding yourself. You're fooling yourself. You know, and, and that's okay. She can, she can fool herself or she can try and fool the public. It's none of my business. It comes down to Nancy Pelosi when someday, you know, she believes obviously in God and Jesus. That's what she's saying. She's a good Catholic. Well, someday she's going to meet Jesus and he's going to stand there and say to her, Nancy, what did you do to protect my babies? And she's going to have to answer for that. I don't have to answer for what she did. She has to answer for what she did. So that's up to her. But to, to pretend you're a good Catholic and you go against the number one tenet of the religion, that life is, is sacred. Uh, same thing with Joe Biden. I'm a very good Catholic, right? Except, you know, you want to go against life, which is the number one number one thing in the uh, in the church. So anyway, I find that very, very interesting. Now, if we keep moving down, you know, uh, current events here, when we look at the Supreme Court, for those of people who are pro-life, uh, it was a very good decision. It was a reasoned decision. They didn't take a right away from anybody. What they said was the law was, was not good, right? The law that created Roe versus Wade, that the abortion right, was not a was not properly decided. It was a political decision made by political justices, and they are just returning it to the states where it belongs. They're not taking away your right. They are returning the the thing to the state where the state makes the rule. That is the proper role of the court. Now you might not like what they did. You might find it uh, tough, but go you know, convince your state that you should have abortion, and you will. And that's how it's supposed to work with lots of these things. If it's not directly in the Constitution, then it's referred to the states. And the states will make their decisions. Well, when, when, you, when, you, when, you, go by the, when you go by the belief that the court makes its decision, uh, and therefore, hey, you win some, you lose some, when we see Joe Biden had a win. He had a win in the court where the uh, court struck down the stay in Mexico policy. You know, where people who were illegally coming to the country were uh, told you got to go back to Mexico and you file there for your asylum hearing and this and that. And when you have it, if you're allowed to stay, then you can come. But you can't come here and that cut down on illegal immigration because people knew they would be returned. They'd have to wait in Mexico. Well, the court struck that down because it was it was a, a part of a uh, an executive order you know, that Donald Trump had uh, created for a good reason. And it worked. It was good for the people who were trying to get here that were coming uh, by the thousands and suffering along the way. I mean, women and children were, were exploited, sexually assaulted along the way. You had the, uh, the coyotes that are bringing them over, the cartels that are taking thousands and thousands of their dollars, using it for the narco-terrorism business, uh, creating havoc all over uh, Central America. Uh, so it was good. It, it shut it down. It shut it down pretty much. Well... If you, if you have to put faith in the court and you have to go by the court's decisions, the court basically said that because this was done as an executive order uh, and basically historically, as I understand it, an executive order only stands for as long as the executive, the president, 
uh, has it in effect. So there are some executive orders that go back to earlier presidents that are still in effect because each president looked at them and said, yeah, it's a good thing. We'll keep that in effect. But a president, the current sitting president, can undo any presidential executive order because he's the president. So when Barack Obama did the, uh, the DACA, that was an executive order, and the Supreme Court upheld it as though it was law, I, found, I thought that was wrong. I thought that was wrong. And it's an executive order, and Donald Trump wanted to undo it. He was the president. He, he should have been able to undo it, and the court said no. Well, when it comes to the stay in Mexico policy, the Supreme Court said that that was a, an executive order by Donald Trump and Joe Biden can take it away, which is interesting because now that we have a conservative court who is acting under the rule of law, not acting politically like the previous courts have, uh, they said, listen, it doesn't matter what you want. He's the president and the president has a right to do these things, executive orders to remove them. And he did. And therefore, uh, stay in Mexico is overturned. Now, I don't like it. I thought it was a good policy, but I have to be true to the fact that if I believe executive action can be undone by the... It's not law. You can't... It's not, it's not a, a decree. I'm the president. I make a law and it can never be taken down. No, the next president could come in and remove it. And that didn't happen with Barack Obama. Uh, the court who, who leaned to the left at the time um, allowed it to stay in effect. Now, whether this court, if they heard a case on DACA, would go six to three and overturn that, I don't know. But I have to be, I have to be honest and fair and say, whether I like the decision or not, the court has decided that uh, you know, presidential executive orders can be undone by the next executive. And that's what has happened in this case. So uh, that stay in Mexico policy is gone, and that's just going to create havoc now. Now that that's gone... Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to try to get here. They're going to be exploited along the way. We're going to have people, you know, they find, uh, you know, 100 people a year die in the deserts trying to get across the border, across to get to the towns and cities in America. And how about the recent situation in San Antonio with the 53 uh, immigrants dead in the back of a truck? That they were abandoned in a locked truck on the side of the road in unbelievable heat and 53 people died. This is horrific, and this is, is a result, a direct, complete result to people uh, trying to get here knowing that we will not enforce our immigration laws. So the president and the vice president can all say, the borders are completely secure, and we got 4 million people coming across the border. The reason that they say it's secure, it is absolutely secure, but they're okay with people coming over, so therefore it's not unsecure because it's the way we want it. We want it open. We want people to come here. We don't want them to have to follow the immigration laws. We want them to just get in, get into the country, and then we'll fly them around or do whatever we're going to do with them so that they're here. And then eventually, at some point, they hope they get enough power together where they can say, amnesty for everybody. And now there's 35 million people here that came illegally. Uh, and now they can all vote. And the vote, the hope is that they'll vote Democratic. And that will be the end of the two-party system in America. It'll be a one-party system. At least that's what they think. I find it refreshing and uh, almost ironic that we see that a lot of our, our, our people that are coming here that are of Hispanic background are very conservative, religious people. Even though they came here illegally, they still are, are religious they still are good and decent people. They're just coming for a better life. 
And, you know, the one thing to overcome is getting here. Well, they got here. And once they get here, they might not vote Democrat. They might not vote Democrat. They might actually vote Republican. Look, I wish I could remember her name. The young woman just uh, elected as a congresswoman in Texas took over a seat that's been held by Democrats since the 1800s. And she gets voted in and she's a Hispanic and she's very conservative and she's religious. And the population there, overwhelmingly Hispanic, voted for her because they are, they're conservative-based kind of people, which is amazing. And I think it's awesome. And if they come here correctly, I don't care where you come from, if you come here the right way, you follow the law and you get yourself here and you have something to add to our society, we need to have people. Of course we do. We, we are a, a country of immigrants, but it has to be done properly. You can't just come walking in the door. And we, How many times can we talk about this? You know, you can't just go to your neighbor's house and take things out of the house because they got more than you and you want a better life, so you go take their stuff. It, that's not how it what life can work. It, it can't function like that. So we can't do that. We have to have laws and rules and people have to follow them. You know, there's a line. Unfortunately, everybody can't just come here. You have to come in the right way. And then you're welcome to America. Then you're welcome to come here and, and see to see if you can rise to the heights. Whatever God-given talent you have, you can be the most you can and add to the country and make it a great place. So I'm not opposed to any of that as long as it's done the right way. You know, there's wonderful people everywhere in the world. Uh, and like I said hundreds and hundreds of times here, I know that most of the people that are coming, even though they're coming illegal, are coming to make a better life for themselves. I understand that. I get it. It's, it's a natural thing to want a better life for yourself and your family. But uh, unfortunately, we, they got to follow rules. you got to follow the rules to get here, and you got to do it the right way. All right, so that's, uh, that's that. I do want to talk about uh, another thing real quick that's, that's happening. We have, um, I'm hoping I'm saying her name right, Katanji Brown. Um, new just got sworn in to the Supreme Court. She took the place of Stephen Breyer, who retired. And uh, Katanji Brown is the first African-American female uh, who is now at the Supreme Court. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have people represented and, you know, to see, see all these ceilings broken. Because in America, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you should be able to rise to your God-given talents. And if she is the first African-American woman to be on the Supreme Court, that is something to celebrate. Look where we've come as a nation, right? Look where we've come. Look how we've changed. We've grown. We've learned. Do we still have more to do? Of course we do. But it's an example when people say, America's this horrible, terrible, rotten place. It's racist. It's this and that. And then you see things like this. You say, no, uh, there's, there's some spot problems here and there. But overall, America has learned from its past sin. It's grown from its past sin. And we're moving forward. And, and that's why I, I say, you know what? I'm probably not going to agree with uh, Justice Brown's um, uh, philosophy. I'm sure she's very far to the left. And now that, now that she's on the court, she can express herself uh, properly the way she wants to. And she'll be very far to the left. She'll be a consistent vote for the liberal uh, side of any case. And I won't agree with her, her decisions. But as an American, I got to say I'm happy for her and I'm happy for the entire African-American community that can be proud that they have a, a woman representing them uh, on the Supreme Court. I think it's good for our whole country that, that people are represented and everyone can rejoice and we're all part of the system. I get that. You know, everybody wants to be a part. Nobody wants to feel apart from. You want to be a part of the system. And I get that. So in that, I have to say congratulations to her, and I hope she has a good uh, tenure on the court, and I hope she 
follows the rule of law and the Constitution when she makes her decisions. Now, the last thing I want to talk about for, for this, uh, this part of our show here today is a very, very sad event that will be repeated several times during the course of the summer months. Uh, and that is someone who leaves an infant child in their car and forgets that they're there and the child ends up dying from overheating. This is a terrible, terrible tragedy that happens every year as the weather turns warm. We see, we see this happen. Recently, it happened in Virginia. Uh, apparently, uh, I don't know the whole story, but there was a young man, a father of an 18-month-old, and the child was left in the car. And at some point, the father realized that the child was in the car, went out to the car, and apparently the child was dead. That's the indications we're getting. He brought the child in the house and realized that he had left the kid in the car and the poor little child died. And then the man took his own life. First, he called, uh, I think he called 911 and said that uh, the baby had a problem and where he was. When the officers and first aid and everybody arrived at the house, they went in, they found the baby deceased in the house and outside the house in the back, uh, in the woods of the family home, they found him deceased with a uh, apparently a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So I've seen, I've been, as a law enforcement officer, I've been to cases where people left their kids in the car. I've been to cases where people left their dog in the car, not because they're trying to kill the child or the dog, but they get caught up, they get tied up, they forget, they close the door and walk away, they get distracted, maybe bringing in packages, whatever, and then all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, and they run out to the car and sometimes it's too late. Uh, last year we heard there was a couple, couple of them here in the Northeast where um, the mom usually took the kids to daycare. And mom had something to do, and dad says, oh, I'll, I'll take the baby to take care. Puts the baby in the back seat, drives to work, parks the car, goes into his office, forgetting that the baby's in the car because he doesn't normally do that. And when he realized and he came out, the child was dead from the heat and whatnot. So this happened again in Virginia. And I'm just saying it is, it is that season. It is that season. It's heating up across the country. You know, we saw the, the migrants in the back of the truck. They died from heat. Uh, exhaustion because they were locked in a hot vehicle 53 people well this 18 month old baby died the same way so talk to your family talk to your friends remind people hey it's warm weather time do something make sure uh, you know we if we're taking the kids in the car we remember that the kids are in the car and you say to yourself how could somebody forget people can forget people can forget I know a very good friend of mine uh, was walking his dog and uh, for whatever reason, he started playing with the kids in the street, and the dog was, he goes, here, sit in the car, sit in the car. He got done, went in the house, and forgot all about the dog. And when he came out, the, the, the poor thing was breathing heavy, was, was having fits, and he took the thing, he had to hose it down, he took it to the veterans hospital, the veterinarian hospital, and luckily the dog was okay. But it, it doesn't always work out that way. So especially when it comes to the children, remind people, if they got kids... And you're going to put a kid and you don't normally have the kid in the back seat. Put a ribbon or something on your steering wheel so you remember that there's a kid, a simple thing, so we can prevent these tragedies. So I say a prayer for, for that father and for that little baby and the tragedy to their whole family today. So we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. But, you know, those are some of the things that are going on in our country today. We'll be right back. It's summertime. Ready for your vacation to the beach, the lake, or the mountains? But what about your accommodations? Ever wonder what germs were left behind by the previous guests? 
Kathy G. from Tulsa says the Genesis Fogger gives her peace of mind and confidence when traveling. With Genesis, she knows that the air and surfaces in her vacation rental are free of bacteria and viruses left behind by the previous occupants. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great, comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. America OUTLOUD beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years. Brush, floss, repeat. We're told to use fluoride, which doesn't really address the acid-creating bacteria. That is where the dentist-recommended Spry Dental Defense System shines. Spry products contain xylitol, a natural sugar, which helps get rid of those nasty, smelly, acid-creating bacteria in our mouth. The best way to care for your teeth and gums is by using Spry. The Spry Dental Defense System has a wide variety of products, toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and chewing gums, that are designed to work together to keep your teeth clean and mouth healthy and smelling sweet all day long. To get your oral care back on track in an easy, effective, and very tasty way, switch to Spry today. Ask your dentist about Xylitol and the Spry products. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural product retailers. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Chasing Justice for round two here in America, Out Loud Radio Network. So recently I went to the New Jersey Police and Security Expo in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And the weather was beautiful. Everything was really, really nice. There was uh, lots and lots of law enforcement people there that I know, a lot of security companies, great exhibits, a lot of good stuff going on there. And you can see uh, the technology is increasing the kind of technology that's out there there are things called lprs if you haven't heard of them uh, it's a license plate reader these can be either mounted on a pole you know on a major traffic area they can be mounted on police cars they can be put in in your security uh, as part of your security you can have them at your building your location uh, when people come and go this thing reads the license plate and then tells you 
who's coming and going. So for law enforcement, what it does, it reads thousands of plates per second. So like when you're driving through an apartment complex, it's reading every single license plate that this thing can see. And it scrolls through, uh, the computer in the background is scrolling through and it looks for the registration, who's the owner, then it runs the, the uh, vehicle uh, registered owner for warrants. So you'll be driving through someplace, driving on the highway, passing cars. It's, it's reading the plate of every single car. And that's all, that's not privacy issue. You know, license plates and insurance and registration is all public information. So what happens is uh, it'll come across and it'll do a, a, an instantaneous warrant check on the registered owner and the cop will get a pop-up. Boom, warranted, uh, there's a warrant for the registered owner of that vehicle. Um, we can use it when, say there's been a crime. Uh, there's been some kind of a crime that takes place. And we can go back and find the sector car, the sector police car that was in the area at the time. Uh, and say there was a, a homicide in an apartment complex and a patrol car had been there throughout the shift and rode through answering other calls or whatever. But every one of those plates that it sees is searchable. So you could go back and go, give me all the plates that this car saw in this location and it can run them all through and you could find out who the registered owners are. So if the killer showed up by a car and parked their car and went and killed somebody, uh, potentially the, their information would have been recorded by the license plate reader. I know that a lot of schools use them so that they can record who's coming and going from the location. It's really amazing technology uh, that, that can be hooked up just about anywhere, like some license plate readers. Another thing is drones. You know, drones are becoming so important, uh, such an important technology because they've, they've gone from being, you know, things that were kind of fly by night, so to speak, without making a joke, to real serious pieces of equipment. And I, the fire departments are using them. I saw, I saw a video the other day of a demonstration where this drone can take a fire hose and fly to the 53rd uh, floor of a building and the, the operator of the drone can see through a camera where the drone is and then operate the hose, right? So you don't have fire guys trying to go up on ladders and fire girls trying to climb through flames. You send the drone up with the hose and uh, it can shoot water at the fire, which is uh, absolutely amazing. It's also very good as a surveillance tool. Um, you, can, you can fly a drone over uh, silently up ahead. You know, when I, do assess, when I do assessments of physical places, schools, businesses, uh, religious facilities, whatever, one of the things we like to see in our assessment is what goes on around the facility. You know, what's going on in the neighborhood around there. So what we do is in the morning, we also like to see the school buses coming and going. You know, how do the school buses come and go from the facility? Where do the walkers go? People who are walking to the school, how do they interact through the neighborhood? We'll fly a drone up, and it's only up five, 600 feet. Uh, and it sits up there, and you can't see it. It is a, a, a speck. You know, it's, a, it's the size of, a, a, I guess, maybe eight inches by eight inches, this thing. And it flies up there. It's absolutely silent. And the pictures that it delivers are crystal clear. The cameras are amazing. You can see the entire facility and the, you know, a couple of blocks around it. You can see all the people walking, how they're coming and going, the traffic patterns, all that kind of stuff. So it's amazing technology for surveillance because if you have permission to be where you are in law enforcement, um, you know, there's that rule. If a cop can see it and has a right to be where they are, they can take action on it. 
So uh, there's going to be court cases about this because if you fly it over a private house and you look in the background, backyard and you see that they're doing something illegal, were you in the position to do that? Uh, and that would all come down to would, would drones in whatever communities be allowed to fly over private residences? If they are, uh, then it would be okay to fly this drone over to private residence and see things. Uh, so that'll all come out in court cases. But it's amazing the technology and how well uh, the cameras work and how these things function. And they go from small to, uh, I, I saw one the other day at this, at this expo. It had to be three feet wide by three feet wide with four dynamic engines on it. This thing could go thousands and thousands of feet in the air. It can go for miles out, uh, or out from its location. Uh, the batteries are getting longer and longer. You used to have like 20 minutes battery time. Now you can have an hour battery time, some, some maybe two. So absolutely amazing technology that's out there uh, for law enforcement. The other, what else did I see? They have a robot. They got a robot dog. Okay. Now the only thing that makes it look like a dog is that it's its body. It's got the body shape uh, like a rectangle, uh, only rounded off, and it's got legs, and it actually walks on four legs. You may have seen videos of this on social media. Uh, the one of the big brands is Boston Boston Dynamics. I think they make they make the dog that runs and jumps. It's really crazy. But there's lots of manufacturers of the of these robotics now that can be used. Um, the dog climbs upstairs, can come down, and it can, you can mount lots of things on it. You can mount the camera on it. So you can walk this dog into a dangerous situation where you can't send a person. They can mount firearms on these things. Uh, you know, if, say you had somebody holding people hostage or something going on, you could walk this dog in there and the dog can, the, the weapon can fire, uh, remote firing by a person operating the, uh, the, the dog, which is basically just a drone on four legs. So the robotics are just absolutely amazing of what's coming into law enforcement. The, uh, the different technologies that are really helping. You know, facial recognition. Uh, how well does that work? It actually, it's pretty advanced facial recognition because we are all unique in our facial buildup. Uh, you know, the only problem you might have is identical twins would, who would look very much the same. But facial recognition can go through thousands of people at a time and can pick out people who are wanted, pick out people who are on terrorist watch lists. Uh, now, a lot of places don't like that. They don't want you looking at their face. Oh, who are you to look at me and know who I am? Well, they don't know who you are. They compare your face to the known face of someone who might be wanted uh, in this and that. And it doesn't, it doesn't pop up your information. It pops up if your face happens to be the person who's wanted, then it's going to pop up. You know. But the, the whole idea is that this surveillance world with technology uh, is really getting amazing. Look at the algorithms on social media, right? Say you look up uh, camping tents. You want to look at different kind of camping tents and you look up a company that makes tents. What do you start getting on all your social media? Advertisers, uh, advertisements for all different companies that make tents, right? Because there's an algorithm that picks out what, what are you looking at? Uh, and then it goes, uh, it can go and show you that. So it's the technology. That's really amazing. There's, uh, there's a company out there uh, that I, I've worked with an awful lot uh, called IP video uh, and IP video has a piece of uh, equipment called a view scan view scan is like a metal detector but it's uh, they don't call it a metal detector because it doesn't operate the same way it's a um, it's a, what do they call it it's a weapons detection system it picks up on ferrous metals using the ambient electromagnetic field of the earth so when you walk through this device 
um, it, it's not hitting you with radiation or anything like a normal magnetometer one would be. This is picking up uh, on the, the equipment that's in it, picks up on ferrous metal because that interferes with the natural magnetic field of the Earth, believe it or not, in that small area. And what it does is it snaps your photograph as you walk through it. And if you have a piece of metal on you, which could be a gun, a knife, a razor blade, something like that, it will put a dot right on the spots where the biggest piece of metal is. So you might have keys in one pocket and a gun in your back pocket. The gun is what's going to show up and it's going to put a dot right on that. The operator of the technology then doesn't have to go crazy searching you. Step over here for a second and go right to that spot where they could recover a gun or anything uh, anything metallic. It's also because it's not a, a old-fashioned metal detector shooting radiation kind of stuff at you. Uh, it is also safe for pregnant women can go through it. And uh, people with pacemakers doesn't interfere with them at all in any way, shape, or form. So it's really amazing piece of equipment called ViewScan, uh, and that's IP video. Uh, then they have the Halo. I think I've talked about that before. That started out as a vape detector, you know, because you got all these kids vaping in school and uh, they're hurting themselves, their lungs. It's not safe. It's not safer than smoking cigarettes. Uh, it has its own set of dangers. Um, but the Halo, this device they created, uh, initially was set up to pick up uh, vape when you kids are vaping or anyone's vaping and vape with THC, with marijuana in it. Well, now this thing is a, is a multi-sensor, they call it. It has gunshot detection in it. It has uh, a call-out word. So if you call out, help, help, it'll, it'll, what it does, how it reacts is when a sensor is tripped, whether it be the gunshot detector, the vape detector, the call for help, whatever, whatever, is, uh, whatever signal is, is sent to it, the computer on board sends text messages to up to 1,000 people and emails. Uh, whoever you've put into the system to be notified that, hey, gunshots were just detected in hallway C, right? Now the principal knows, the cops know, everybody knows uh, that there were gunshots and where they were, they were came from. Hey, there's vaping being detected in bathroom 305. Um, and because it was so successful at those things, now they put in it, it's got, uh, it's got health, health and safety uh, devices in it. It can monitor the air quality in a place. It can monitor the air pressure in a place, the temperature. It can do room counts now. Uh, it doesn't have a camera on it, but it has a sensor that can tell you how many people are in a room, right? Why is that important? Well, imagine uh, if there was a situation where you had to go see how many people are in a room. Maybe there's a hostage situation or, or something going on. Be good to know there are six people in that room. Or if there is a uh, chemical spill or something and people were around, you want to know where people are, I can tell you there's 15 people in that room. Absolutely amazing stuff. Technology is just going so far and so fast um, that it's, it, it's amazing to me. One of the things that I'm doing now uh, is everybody, you might have heard of, um, what do they call it, regular tabletop exercises. Right? If you know what they are, you know what they are. If you don't, let me explain it to you. A tabletop exercise is where uh, you can come up with any any situation you would want your team to be prepared for. It could be a weather emergency. It could be an active shooter event. You have your security team. How would they respond? It can be a cyber attack in your company. What happens if there's a cyber attack? How would we respond? Do we, do we have policy and procedure? Whatever the event is, flooding, uh, earthquakes, it doesn't matter what it is, an airplane crash. So with a tabletop, you take any of these scenarios and you would sit around the table excuse me, with all the people that are involved in responding to whatever this emergency is. And you would say, okay, let's say, 
An airplane came down short of the runway here at Joe Pangaro Airport, and it crashed in the woods just before the runway. What would we do? And your whole team would say, well, we would call out the fire department. We would get the, the EMTs. We would get the emergency response team to get out there with the firefighting equipment. Okay, and what would we do next? And you talk your way through it. Well, you might have a policy or procedure, and as you're talking your way through it, you come up with different things in this scenario. Okay, say, say there's uh, the plane has crashed, and there are some survivors straggling away. There are also people who are badly injured. You have people who are dead, and there's some chemicals that were spilled now. You know, it, it came down, and it, it the jet fuel all over the place. What would we do first? And then your team would talk about it. Well, I would think we would address this first, and then we would address that first. And you can have arguments, and you start to find that there's gaps in how your team would respond because they don't know your policy. Maybe you laid it out that when it comes to chemicals, you do A, B, C, and D. When it comes to victims, you do A, B, C, and D, whatever. And because your whole team, you might find, wow, everybody's on a different plane here uh, responding. We don't know what we, we, we're not doing the right thing. And then you create a better plan, and that's the value of a tabletop. You can do that with any anything, any kind of an event, um, you talk it out. But what's different about a tabletop uh, than the ones that I'm doing, the electronic tabletops, simulation training, is that there's no, in a regular talk out tabletop, there is no sense of urgency, there is no stress on anybody, we calmly talk our way through things, we figure out problems, and it doesn't really help us uh, to experience that stress, that stress feeling when you have to make decisions based on, on your training, your experience, and your policy. So it doesn't really help us to see that like a real drill would. Like if you did a real drill and you ran and people were running around simulating stuff. So how do you, you know, those are hard to do to get all these people together and do a, a simulation. So what I found was I found a company that creates a, a product that is an electronic simulation training platform. Right? So it's a software-based platform. Uh, we have named it Sim Tactics because it's simulated tactics. What would you do? And what's awesome about this thing, you take any one of those scenarios. Everybody on your team, whoever it would be, the management, the, the CEO, the CFO, the head of security, whoever it is, your school principals, whoever would have to respond to an emergency, uh, everybody gets logged in to this exercise and you're all in separate rooms, so you can't sit and talk to each other, you have to respond. And then the event kicks off by either getting an email, a video message, a recorded phone call, uh, all kinds of uh, multimedia pops up to everybody. So maybe uh, you get a phone call from the, say, let's go to a school where a kid shows up at the front door with a gun, and he can't get in, but he's at the front door. Now the secretary might send a, uh, a message through an intercom, to say, uh, security, there's a kid at the front door with a gun. Well, that message would be pre-recorded, and everybody involved in the exercise would get that message. F hear the recording. Hey, this is the secretary, and i got to tell you, there's a kid at the front door with a gun. Now, everybody on your team now got that information, and now they have to respond on the platform. What would they do? So the head of security might say, lock the school down. Where is the person? Send three guards over there. The principal might say, you know, call the police or whatever. But it's live and it's happening. There's no time to sit around and talk. You have to know your policy. You have to know what you're supposed to do. Because what we have in there is called injects. So an inject is an action. So maybe we set the first one off where you get that 
message from the uh, from a secretary, there's somebody at the front door with a gun. Then two minutes later, you get another message that says, he shot out the glass, he's in the school, he's in the school and he's running. And then maybe you hear some gunshots on the recording, right? Now what do you do? Uh, next thing you might hear is a security officer on the radio saying, I see him, he's in hallway four, he's in hallway four. Well, now all your people have to make decisions. You know, what do you do in hallway four? Do you lock down? Did you evacuate? Whatever. whatever. It's all live and it takes place one after the other uh, in real time with real stress on the players. And uh, you run this scenario as much as, as long as you want. You can make it 10 minutes, two hours, whatever. People do cyber attack ones that take place over two days. Banks, uh, government agencies, doesn't matter. The size of the, whatever it is you want to practice with, you can. But the value is, is that the simulation is, it seems real. So that makes the stress real, makes people respond the way they really would during an event. And when it's done, when the scenario is over, the uh, built-in analytics of the system then takes apart everything that happened and gives you a whole host of analytics. You get a thing called a heat map. So the heat map shows you in different colors what every single person involved in the scenario, how they reacted. So we might see that the uh, principal is the person during an active shooter who's supposed to be making all the calls about what to happen. And we see that as the event starts, the principal is in color blue, but 10 minutes later, he's in color red. And then she can't function. And what we see is that at that moment, in that event, when the principal, uh, the principal who was running the event got turned red in the, in the color heat map, that's because they had too much to do. They couldn't function. Uh, and that'll show you for every single person in the event. And what you see then is at what point in this event did these players get overwhelmed and couldn't do their job? So that tells you you go back to your plan now and you go, okay, maybe we need to uh, delegate some more skills to someone. Someone else should be in charge of this. Someone else should be in charge of that. That's just one of the analytics. But it helps you to, to fix your plan so that your people can function. The next thing it'll show you is a communication map. You might say to yourself, okay, the commander of this incident was the principal. And of course, you would think the principal then would be giving, it, giving instruction, telling everybody what to do and whatnot. But when we look at the communications heat map, we see that the, uh, the head of facilities was actually the one doing all the calls, telling people what to do, telling where to go. And you see in, in, from the most active person doing things, making calls, to the least active. And now you can go back and say, well, why was your head of facilities making the calls and not the principal who's supposed to? Maybe we need to delegate the head of facilities to one to make the calls, or the principal needs more training, or whatever it is. It, it takes the event that everyone just went through and it breaks it down into things that you can see. It shows you um, key words. What was everybody talking about the most? And it makes a word salad. And the bigger the word, the more it was used. When you click on that word in the graphic, it takes you exactly to who said it and when they said it. What were they concerned about? Right? Is that something they should have been concerned about? Uh, are the doors locked? Are the doors locked? Are the doors locked? That's what they people kept asking. Well, then you can go back and say, well, why were you so worried about the doors? The person was already inside. You know, see what I'm saying? So the, the host of uh, analytics that this thing gives you allows you to go back and look at your plan, refine your plan, make your plan better, and your people have been challenged, right? Your people have been challenged. Uh, I did it for a, a company in New York uh, on a hurricane, an unexpected hurricane hitting their place, and they had flooding. 
People couldn't get on the road. People were trying to go home from work. Should they do it? Should they not do it? And when it got all done, uh, the company or the CFO and the CEO and everybody came to me and said, you know, we didn't know what to expect, but my heart was pounding in the middle of this trying to make these important decisions about life and safety of my people and my building and my equipment. Uh, it was really an amazing experience. Then, based on that exercise, they realized they did not have a very good plan for what to do if a hurricane with a flood surge hit them and they were in an area where that tent potentially could easily happen. So they went back and created a 20-point plan of what they would do if a hurricane hit them and they had a flood, floods coming towards them. How could they pre preserve their people, preserve their equipment? What would they do? That's the whole purpose of it. Uh, and it's called Sim Tactics, and it's all based on technology. You know, this technology, as our partner in safety and security, uh, is is absolutely vital to making sure that we are safer. So, if anybody wants any information on any of this stuff, you know, you can reach out to me, uh, and I can I can point you in the right direction. I met a company the other day, really great people. Uh, it's called 911 Inform. Now, 911 Form, what they do is they are a emergency communications and mapping company and I've seen a bunch of these before you know they're out there um, you can have apps on your phone where hey you see a, a guy with a gun you hit lockdown yeah you see a suspicious person you hit that button it notifies people well 911 inform goes 10 times farther and faster than anything I have seen to this day uh, it's so amazing that I am now going to start telling my clients about it that's how awesome this product is so what they do is they have an entire map of your facility whether it's uh whether it's your synagogue whether it's a church whether it's your office building or your school doesn't matter what it is they get the floor plans of that and that's uh, hooked up into the system they know where every single door in your place is they know where the cameras are they know where everything is uh, and the police department gets the program for free Right? So say something happens and somebody dials 911 from anywhere on your facility. They dial that 911 to call for the police. The system automatically kicks in, shows the dispatcher the facility and where the 911 call is coming from. Then the dispatcher has options from the police department to immediately lock the building down, to call for other help. Now the officers are on their way. Uh, the dispatcher can say, hey, listen, it's at room 307, and the map pops up for the officers that shows them where door 307 is, the easiest way to get there, and as they arrive, the dispatcher can unlock the door so the officers can get inside and do what they have to do. You can activate cameras so that cameras are recording everything that's going on. And all of this is free to law enforcement, uh, and then the school or the business you know, would, would buy, the, buy the product. But it is an absolutely amazing piece of technology and how much it helps all the responders and everybody to move fast. Because what I say all the time with all of this stuff is that time equals life. The faster we can respond, the faster we can lock down, the faster we can evacuate, whatever action we take, uh, we have to be able to do it quickly because that's what saves lives. Uh, and now when I look at all these, these school shootings uh, and we look at some of these things and, and we try and backtrack and see what happened, there's, there's three things that we need to be concerned with here. Uh, and I wrote an article about this. It's called The Three Pillars of Survival. So when I break this down, you know, what do we need to know to make our, our facility, no matter what our facility is, safer and better? Three things. You have to do preparation. Preparation means preparing your staff, 
anybody in your facilities, uh, getting the right equipment, training, drilling, doing the right physical things so people know what to do in any kind of an emergency. Uh, having the equipment in place that's going to help you do the right things to lock down and to, to secure buildings, etc. That's preparation. That's the first pillar of survival. The second pillar is communication. How does everybody in your facility know that there's an emergency? Some of us are in very big facilities. And if somebody is in the front office shooting people, people in the back may have no idea. And they're just going about their business. And then the attacker is loose in the facility. So how do you communicate to everybody that's out there uh, in your facility that there's an emergency? We need to lock down. We need to do whatever. Shelter in place. Evacuate. Whatever it is. So we need to be able to cover communication. And the third pillar of survival is notification. How do we reach out and call the, uh, the law enforcement or the security people, you know, the good guy and good girls with the guns? How do we get them to where we are? Uh, how do they know that something's happening? So when we, if you cover all of those areas, preparation, communication, and notification in your emergency plans, in your emergency equipment, uh, in what you expect to do to respond when there's an emergency, if you cover those areas, uh, that's a pretty good guide to figure out what you need to do to make sure you're safe, as safe as you can possibly be. So as you can imagine, with uh, the recent attack at the Uvalde School, uh, the Rob, Rob Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, the horror that that is and the, the terrible things that happened there and the response of law enforcement, it makes it very, very clear that we can, we can be prepared, but we may not always respond appropriately. So practice, 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 do live drills, do simulations, do uh, role player events, do things that add stress to people so that they learn how to operate under stress, they don't panic. Because there's fight, flight, and freeze, right? Everybody talks about flight, fight, and flight. There's also freeze. So fight and flight and then freeze, and people will freeze if they're not prepared to respond. So when we do all of this, we want to make sure that we are as prepared as possible. We are... Uh, we prepped ourselves up in our equipment. We know how to communicate with each other, and we know how to call for help. And then practice, practice, practice. So technology is a huge part of our safety and security going forward. And I want to talk about that uh, because I wanted to get it in the last couple episodes, and I didn't have much of a chance. So listen, um, say a prayer for America. Say a prayer for our families. Uh, let's hope that we can all find a way to get along and that we move forward and our country is a safer, better place. Thank you, my friends. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.